Tonight, tonight we are, Emir Sahashem, going to be finishing a Sefer, which is, um, it's apropos, this Shabbos we also finished a Sefer in the Torah, Vayichi, and therefore we call it Shabbos Chazak. Whenever we finish a Sefer in the Torah, it's a special Chizuk, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek, to uh, continue learning and going stronger even. So tonight we're going to finish Emir Sahashem Shmuel Beis, which uh, more than anything else is the story of David HaMelech, David Melech Yisrael, as we've been um, going through this Sefer. Perik by Perik. So we're holding by Perik Chaf Gimel. And that's the last two Prakim, Chaf Gimel and Chaf Dalid. Um, the last Perik that we did last week, although we didn't uh, read much of it, but that was Perik Chaf Beis, and that was the song, the Shira of David. We talked about the fact that that's one of the Shiras in the Torah, one of the nine Shiras in the Torah, um, and that we we uh, read it in the Haftarah on Shvi Yishal Pesach, um, and that's also really in Tehillim as well as we discussed last week. And that was, that's behind us. We finished, um, Perich of Beis finished of the words which we say at the end of benching, Magdil or Migdil, Yeshua Smalko, Hashem did kindness to his anointed one, Ladavid, Lazara Yadelam to David and to his descendants forever. That's how Chav Beis finished. Chav Gimel is a, really a continuation of David's words um, very much towards the end of his life. As Perich of Gimel begins with the words, these are the last words, the final words of David. Um, and again, we have very beautiful poetry in the beginning of this parak, Chav Gimel. Um, he begins, Ne'un David ben Yishai. Um, he, he, he refers to himself in third person. Let's speak, David, son of Yishai. Ne'um hagever hukam ol. The one who Hashem raised up very high. Mashiach, Elokei Yaakov, anointed by the God of Jacob. Unni'im Zmira Yisrael, the sweet singer of Klal Yisrael. Um, this is actually a uh, title that remains with David HaMelech forever. David is called Ni'im Zmira Yisrael, literally the sweet singer of Klal Yisrael. And of course, as we know, today we're, um, we're thousands of years later, um, 2,500 years um, or more than that, uh, closer to 3,000 years from David HaMelech. And still, when a person wants to express the Shira, the Tishbachai songs and praises for Hashem, our go-to book is always going to be the Sefer Tehillim from David Melech Yisrael. And David is the one who gave himself this name, Ne'im Zmires Yisrael, the sweet singer of Klal Yisrael, which I, mean, I don't want to you know, get, get off on a tangent, but if you think about it, David was a king, David was a warrior, and yet what David wants to be known as is the one who sings the Shvachim of Hashem, the praises of Hashem, and the Book of Tehillim, which is again the go-to book for Klal Yisrael throughout all the years, all the generations, especially when a person is in a time of a tzara, but really at any time. Um, the Tzemach Tzedek famously, famously said, and it's written in Yom, if we would know the power of saying the words of Tehillim, we would never stop saying them. And that's what David, that's how David Amelach again relates to himself in the beginning of this uh, parak, in which are the final words of David, as the Pasik said, Dvarav HaAcharenim. So he says, I want to talk, the, uh, the one anointed by Hashem and the sweet singer of, 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 uh, of the Jewish people. And then he says in Pasuk Beis, another beautiful Pasuk, Ruach Hashem Diber Bi. It's the spirit of Hashem who speaks through me. Umilasai Alishoni. His words are on my tongue. And this is a, a word, this is a quote that became synonymous with the concept of Nivua in general. The idea of Nivua is that Hashem speaks through the Tzaddik. And this, even in the beginning of, of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe uses this quote in the foreword of Tanya, Ruach Hashem Dibirbi Milasei Alashoni, that the spirit of Hashem is really speaking through me. And he goes on, 
Um, you know, but uh, let me, before we go on, there's some very beautiful ideas in Chazal about these opener psukim. I'll mention one or two. Um, he says in the Pasuk Aleph, Um HaGever Hukam Ol. The person who was raised up, who was raised up by Hashem. That's the literal translation. But Hukam Ol also has other meanings to it. Um, the Gemara says that he's the one who was making Ola Shel Tshuva. The one who really taught us the power of Tshuva. Um, we learned that in David HaMelech's night, as great as the Tzadik David HaMelech was, his life wasn't perfect. And there were sins, definitely for his level sins. And he was always doing Tshuva for it. And the book of Tehillim is filled with his regrets and his remorse and his begging Hashem for Tshuva. And therefore he's considered, he's looked at as the Tzadik who taught us how to do Tshuva. That even when one is in a great level, one can fall and one can do Tshuva. And therefore he's called, the Gemara says, Hekim Oila Shel Tshuva is the one who taught us how really to do Tshuva. But there's another idea that the Medrash says, that the word Hukam Ol, the word Ol is Ayin Lamid, which is the numerical value of 100. Ayin is 70, and Lamid is 30. And the Gemara tells us of a very interesting institution that David instituted during his lifetime, and that was during one of the famines of the Jewish people, he instituted that every person should say a hundred brachas every day. And that's a concept that's even brought halachically, that if we're, if we're able, it's not, a, it's not a mitzvah, it's not a commandment, but if we're able, there's a power to saying a hundred brachas per day. Now, if one davens, all the davenings and benchings and so on, it's not hard to get to a hundred brachas a day. It really isn't. Um, especially... Uh, for a person who davens Mayriv, because every Shmon Esrei is 19 brachas right there. So if one davens three Shmon Esrei's, then that's what, 57 brachas before you start just with Shmon Esrei. But even without Mayriv, we have all the brachas in the morning, which is 15 brachas right there. Um, a benching, uh, uh, again, a washing with Hamotzi with a benching is right away another eight, nine brachas. Um, and, and again, throughout the day, there's different brachas that might come up. And there's Hamapil, and there's Baruch Omar. parts of davening are brachas. But David HaMelech is one who instituted that. He said that a person should make a hundred brachas a day, and there's a tremendous amount of uh, Kabbalistic significance to that, which we're not going to get into. But the Medrash says that that's alluded to in these words of David in this Pasuk, Hukam Ol, that he's the one who got us to do the Ol, the 100 brachas a day, drawing down Hashem into our lives and into the world through, those, through that interesting institution of David HaMelech himself. So that's also alluded to in these words in the final Pasuk. And of course, He's called Mashiach Hashem, the Anointed One, because he was the, the, one, the first one who was anointed with Hashem and Zayis, and ultimately Mashiach Tzidkenu, whom we await. So eagerly is, of course, called Mashiach. Mashiach's primary title is Mashiach, which means the Anointed One. And of course, Mashiach is called Mashiach Ben David. The Mashiach that we await, that we yearn for and await, is a descendant of David and is seen as the continuation of David. So David HaMalach is called Mashiach Hashem, and Mashiach, whom we await, is called Mashiach Hashem as well. Um, I, I'm sure, I think we mentioned in the past, that the Rambam, in his halachic work, talks about the two Mashiachs, Shnei Mashiachim. And he says, who are the two Mashiachs? David HaMelech and Mashiach Tzidkenu, whom we await. That's the beginning and the end of, 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 the, of Malchus. As the first great Melech, David Melech Yisrael, and who will be completed by his descendant, Melech HaMashiach, both of them called the Anointed of Hashem. Okay, David goes on. In Pasuk Gimel, and Dalid, and Hay, and Vav, and Zion. And he, it's really, again, very beautiful poetry. We're not going to go into it in detail. But he talks about the blessing of Hashem, that Malchus is going to remain in his family, in his children, and that it's an everlasting bracha. 
Um, and again, he, does, he, he talks about it poetically. He talks about the sun shining, um, and he says that the the real um, the real Moshe, the real ruler, rules with Yiras Elokim, with fear of Hashem. It's not about self. It's not about a selfish type of rulership. It's about bringing, inspiring people to fear of Hashem. And but he talks about that the sun shines, but ultimately it only can only affect have its proper effect if there's no clouds. And the only way that things will grow is if the sun shines and there's no clouds and so on. And as as Rashi and the other commentators explain, what he's saying is that most kings works until the next king comes along. But if the next king comes along, then the the effect of the first one is sort of lost. That's like the clouds that cover up the sun. However, he says in Pasuk, hey, Kilo Kane Basi, that's not how my home is. Kibris Olam, Samli, an everlasting covenant Hashem made with me. Um, it's, it's guarded for me. And there is no other Melech that will ultimately stand and for a significant amount of time other than the Melachim that come from base David. And he talks about those that will go against Malchus base David, their successes will be short-lived, and ultimately they'll, they'll be removed, and Malchus will return to the house of David. Um, this one uh, idea here, in Pasuk Hay, he talks about Arucha Bakol Ushmura, that Hashem has it set and guarded for the house of David. This Pasuk, though, has a different, a totally different meaning and a very interesting story in the Gemara that I'll just relate very shortly. And it's something that the Alter Rebbe expands upon in Tanya as well. And that is that it says, Rabbi Meir, who's one of the great uh, sages of the Mishnah, um, one of the greatest sages of the Mishnah, is called Rabbi Meir Balhanes, Rabbi Meir the miracle worker, had also a very, very holy and special wife, and her name was Bruria, one of the famous women of, of, the, uh, of the times of the Mishnah. So the Gemara tells a story that Bruria once saw a, one of the disciples of Rameir studying Torah, but he wasn't verbalizing, wasn't saying the words, just studying with his eyes. And Bruria quoted to him this Pasuk of David HaMelech's Shira. And she said, David HaMelech said, Arucha bakol ushmura. She said, if it's something that you speak, that you verbalize, that it's not just an idea, but it's something that you actually express with your other limbs as well, by speaking and getting involved, then Shmura, then you'll remember it. But if you don't verbalize the Torah that one learns, he says, it won't stay by you, you won't remember it. And from here we learn, from her we learned that concept of the mitzvah of not just um, thinking about words of Torah when, we, when we'll say some Chumash or Tehillim or, or Tanya, whatever we're learning, not just to like scan the page with our eyes and think it, but to actually verbalize it. And that has the power of making it something that um, really... Uh, has a, um, a long-lasting effect on the person. And that's an idea, again, the Alter Rebbe you know, takes that away in Tanya and explains why that is, which we're not going to go into. But here, it's based on the words of this Pasuk. Arucha b'chol Shmura. David HaMelech was talking about that kingdom was promised to him and would stay within his family. But uh, Bruria, the wife of Remeir, learned from here other ideas also, including the idea of the importance of verbalizing the words of Torah. That takes us through Pasuk Zayin, the first seven psukim of this parak that deal with this, uh, again, this Dvarav Shal David Ha'acharonim, the last words of David. Uh, it's not literally the last, but something that he said to, uh, close to the end of his life. The remainder of this parak, the remainder of the chapter, discusses the giborim that surrounded David. Giborim literally means mighty people, mighty men. And as the commentators tell us, they were both mighty warriors and they were mighty Talmidi Chachamim. Um, and that's the, uh, the two sides of David HaMelech. He was this warrior king and this tremendous tzaddik and singer and writer of Tehillim. And the people that he surrounded himself with were also 
um, warriors of Klal Yisrael, literally on the battlefield, but they were also tzaddikim, and there were people that were close to David and studied from David and learned Torah from David. So the Pasuk talks about a number of the Ge'ela Shemais HaGiborim Asher David. These are the Giborim, the mighty warriors of David. Yoshev Basheves Tachkimuni. They sat surrounding the wisdom of David. Because again, they weren't only warriors, they were those who learned with David and, um, and were his, his Talmidim, they were his disciples. And the, the Pasuk goes into a lot of different names. Most of them are not familiar to us. Um, it talks about the three primary warriors. It says, Adino Ha'etzni. Um, another was Elazar Ben Dodo. Um, and the third one, uh, it says the name is Shama Ben Age Harari. Most of these we haven't really heard from at all throughout Tanakh. But they were great men in that time. And the, and the Pasuk here talks about certain feats of battle that they were able to accomplish. And they were able to smite who knows how many plishtim. The Jews were always beset by the plishtim, the Philistines at that time. And at the same time, they were, they were true disciples of David HaMelech. And then the Pasuk discusses a, a very interesting story. That's, uh, there's a simple level of understanding the story and there's a deeper level. But it talks about that there was three of these mighty men of David. And uh, it says one time they came to David, and David was, uh, it was in the time of the cuts here, when they were, um, at the time of shearing the crops. And David was in a certain, uh, certain cave of Adulam. And it was near the city, but in that city there was a tremendous uh, garrison of Plishtim soldiers. And David Amalek was very, very thirsty. And David said, he said, I, I wish I would have water to drink. The problem is that the water is in the wells that are, in, you know, the, in the Plishtim, uh, under Plishtim domain. So the Pasuk says that three of these giborim, three of these mighty men, though David didn't tell them to, they, um, they went with Mesiris Nefesh and they broke through the Plishti uh, front lines and the garrisons and they brought David water. I guess this is to bring out their, their, their strength and their dedication to David HaMelech, that they realized David was thirsty and they broke through untold you know, amount of, uh, of you know, soldiers and battalions in order to bring water to David HaMelech. But then the Pasuk says David didn't drink the water. He says, Chas v'shalom. he says that people should endanger their life for me to benefit from the water. I can't benefit from this water. And he poured out the water as a libation for Hashem. That's what the Pasuk says. That's the story in the simple pshat of the Pasuk. Again, that these people um, were, were showing their might and their dedication. But David Melch ultimately did not um, appreciate it because he didn't feel that they should be endangering their lives in order to bring him water. That's the pshat of the Pasuk. The Gemara tells us a whole deeper, that the whole story behind the story. And then when it says here, water, water we know is, is many times used allegorically for Torah. In Mayim ala Torah, Torah is called water for many reasons. Water, of course, is the source of uh, sustenance. Most important thing that we take into our bodies is water. And Torah is called Mayim for other reasons as well, humility and others. So the Gemara says that when David was thirsty for water, it, we're not just talking about thirsty of water. He needed, he was thirsty for a halacha. And that halacha he needed to hear from the Sanhedrin. But he was on the other side of the Plishti army that was dividing between him and the Sanhedrin. So that's what the Gemara tells us that there's, a, again, a story behind the story, as we find so many times in Torah. That, uh, whereas the Pasuk says he was thirsty and they broke through the, uh, the, the Plishti uh, barricades or, or, or garrisons in order to get in the water, the Gemara says really he was looking for a halacha, he needed a ruling from the Sanhedrin, and there was this, the Plishti garrisons were between them. So these giborim, these disciples and, and mighty disciples, broke through all the different uh, um, soldiers in order to get to the Sanhedrin, and they got the Psak halacha, and they brought it back to Davanamela.
And in fact, in the Gemara, there's a number of opinions. Which halacha exactly was he looking for? What his question was? It's not important for us now. So, but then what does it mean that David says that I'm not going to, that he poured it down before Hashem, he didn't drink the water? So the Gemara says that David said that really you're, you're not allowed to go on Messiris Nefesh to go and hear a halacha. You know, we know that a person has to protect their life. And therefore, he said, the halacha I'll accept, but this halacha I won't say over in your names. Being that you did something incorrect by endangering your lives and the lives of others in order to find that halacha for me. So I appreciate it, but it's not going to be something that's going to be said in your names. Rather, it's just a halacha in the name of Hashem, not in the name of those who did it, because there was something improper in the way that they did it. And that's how the Gemara explains this um, somewhat uh, strange story that the Pasuk tells us over here. Okay, the Pasuk uh, continues, Pasuk Yudches, and goes on, the, really the, the whole remainder of this chapter deals with the various um, strong uh, uh, warriors and disciples of David HaMelech. So now we meet uh, a name that we remember, and that's Avishai. Avishai was a brother of Yoav, right? There was three brothers who were three mighty men. And Avishai, brother of Yoav, is counted as one of these great uh, warriors, um, and then we talk about another one, Bina Yahu ben Yehoyada, who we actually have learnt about. He was also a, um, a very um, significant disciple and warrior of David HaMelech. In fact, actually, his caver till today is one that's visited. It's in Sfas. And it's one of the kvarim of that the Arizal talked about. And there's a whole story with Arizal for it. But um, so he's mentioned here also as one of the great uh, disciples of um, of David, and again, it talks about some feats of war, and he was once alone, and he was attacked by a lion, and he was able to smite the lion himself um, in a in a pit, in the, again, in, th- in a time of snow. Um, and the passage just talks about these people, and this is this was Bin Yahu, and it says he was one of the greatest. And then we have Asoil. Asoil, if you recall, is the third brother, right? There was Yoav, Avishai, and Asoil. He's mentioned here as well. And then the passage just goes on with n- numerous names that we don't recognize. Um, they weren't mentioned in the stories. Shama and Chelet, Abiezer, Salmon, Chelev, each one their, their name and their father's name. And that goes until the end of the Perik. It says altogether there was 37. There was 37 that they were the leaders of David's battles and the leaders of his people. You remember David has been a king, um, was a king for 40 years. So throughout that time, he had numerous great leaders and great warriors and great disciples. And they are enumerated in this Pasuk, in the Pesukim in this chapter. It's very interesting that the name that we may have thought would be mentioned first is not mentioned at all. And that's Yoav. Yoav, who's David, the general. Now we know that, and we've learned over the last weeks, Yoav did certain things that David was not happy with, but he still remained David's ultimate general throughout. And the Chazal say, the Mepharshim say, that the reason he's not mentioned here in the Pasuk is because he was above all the other. He was the, he was David's general. So it talks about the 37 Giborim, 37 mighty warriors and leaders and so on. But to put Yoav as one of them would actually be um, degrading, so to speak, for Yoav. Because he wasn't one of the people. Yoav was David's general. Um, above the 37 who were great warriors and great leaders within the armies of David. Yoav was with David the entire time. In fact, the Gemara says something very interesting. It says, Yoav was able to be successful in the wars because David was learning Torah and saying Tehillim in the palace. And David was able to learn Torah and write the Tehillim because Yoav was in the battlefield. So Yoav and David is seen as this partnership. With David, of course, is David HaMelech, but Yoav was his primary, ultimate general, and therefore he's not mentioned in the number of the 37. 
And that really takes us to the end of Perich of Gimel, chapter 23. <coughs> so, Perich of Dalet, chapter 24, the final chapter. Vayosef af Hashem lecharos b'Yisrael. There was an additional time of anger that Hashem was angry with the Jewish people. Um, and therefore, there was an additional um, famine in the Jewish people. In addition to what we had earlier, because last week we talked about there was a three-year famine, and um, and that was that had to do with David Melech asked, and he found out that that had to do with the um, with the Givonim who were killed, and with the fact that Shaul Hamelach didn't have the proper kavod in his burial and his death, as we discussed last week. Now there's an additional time where Hashem is upset with the Jewish people. In the pasuk, it's not clear what it was. Um, Rashi says, and the other mafarshim say that it could very well be. One second, did I turn myself off here? Okay, so um, the Mitsudos and other Mepharshim say that it could very well be that it was because of the various rebellions against David HaMelech. And Hashem was upset. There was the rebellion of Avshalom. There was the rebellion of uh, Sheva ben Bichri, all these rebellions that we learned of. So there's always the one person who, who led the rebellion, but you had thousands or tens of thousands of Jewish people that joined them. And that caused Hashem's anger. So once again, there was, um, it was a time of severity for the Jewish people, and Hashem was upset with the Jewish people. And the Pasuk is going to tell us now about another time that David HaMelech made a mistake, did something that he shouldn't have done. And that is, at this point, David HaMelech, for reasons that are not clear, wanted to count the Jewish people. Um, the wording of the Pasuk is, in Pasuk um, Aleph, Vayoses es David. David was, um, let me see, Vayoses, he, uh, he was talked into. He was talked into counting the Jewish people. It's not clear who talked him into it, according to the Mepharshim. It says the one who talks us into doing all the mistakes that we do, the Yitzhar. Or wherever it was, David Malach was talked into counting the Jewish people. And this is a problem because we know that counting is not something that we do. We don't count people. We know this all the way back from in the Torah when Moshe Rabbeinu counted the Jewish people. When Moshe Rabbeinu counted the Jewish people, Aparshas Kisisa, Hashem tells him, how do you do that? You take from each one a half shekel. And you count the half shekels, and the half shekels you give for tzedakah. And that was the way that you counted. Because we know that minion counting is something that's connected with Ayn Hara. And we don't count. Even today, when, uh, when we have to count people, we try not to count one, two, three, four, five. Um, for a minion, typically, when you're trying to count to see if you have ten people for a minion, they'll use a pasuk, Hoshia Samecha, which has ten words to it, or another pasuk that has ten words to it. But here, for whatever reason, David had to go through this towards the end of his life. And David wanted the Jewish people to be counted. And he told his, his general, Yoav, and he says, I want you to go and make a counting, take an exact counting of all the Jewish people. He says, from Dan till Be'er Sheva, which is one corner of the land of Israel, to the other corner of the land of Israel. And I want to know the exact numbers of the Jewish people. Yoav tells the king, he says, why? Why do you have to count the Jewish people? You'll know a number. Hashem should add to that number and double the number, triple the number. The Jewish people are beyond counting. He says, Lama chafitz Why does the king want that the Jewish people should be counted? So Yoav protested, tried to get David to stop. But David over here, for some reason, was set on this to have the Jewish people counted. And the, the word of the king was strong over Yoav. And Yoav, together with the heads of the, um, 
sorry, Hachayel, the heads of the warriors, went out in order to count the Jewish people. And they did a very, very thorough census. The Pasuk says in Pasuk Hay, and Vav, and Zion, and Ches, describes how they really traveled throughout the, the length and breadth of the land of Israel. Um, this is probably the first proper counting of the Jewish people in hundreds of years, since Yehoshua. We're talking about, there's, I mean, we've been, we've been learning um, Navi, not for hundreds of years, but we've, we've gone through hundreds of years of history in our Navi, and we never had a counting. The last count time the Jewish people were counted was when they came into Israel. David, now we're talking, it's a, good four, it's a solid 400 years later. And David wants to make a census. He wants to get to know exactly what the story of the Jewish people. And Yah comes back in Pasuk Tess and he gives the numbers. And he says that in Yisrael, Yisrael means the tribes aside from Shevet Yehuda, there's 800,000 warriors. So he's only counting the warriors. I mean, obviously these warriors have parents and children and wives and children. So there's, there's we're talking about millions of people. He says there's 800,000 warriors. And in Yehuda, there's 500,000 men. So that's a million three hundred thousand men, warriors. But really, and there's not a lot of numbers here, but the Mepharshim say that there's the book of Divrei Hayyamim, which is the book of Chronicles, and there the numbers are somewhat different. It seems that there's, there's more people than the ones that are here. And the Mepharshim talk about that there's a, there seems to be an inconsistency, but, and they explain that Yoav was missing a couple Shvatim. He didn't count the tribe of Levi. He didn't count, uh, count the tribe of Binyamin for whatever reason. And therefore, the numbers are really a lot greater than this. So we're talking about that at that time in Eretz Yisrael, we had the Jewish people must have been uh, five million people or more, based on these numbers that the Navi is giving us over here. And that's what happened. So, so Yoav fulfilled his mission and gives David Hamelech a very exact count of the Jewish people. But it's at this time that David realizes that he made a terrible mistake, and it's it's clear. You know, it doesn't say like, exactly what happened. Like, what didn't he know before? Why did he realize now that it's a mistake? It's clear this was exerted from Hashem that it had to happen for whatever reason. We'll see soon an interesting reason. But um, at this point, Vayach leave David also in Pasuk, uh, Pasuk Yud. David's heart was, was, was heavy within himself. Why he had the Jewish people counted. And David turns to Hashem. Vayomer David al Hashem. Remember, of course, David is a Navi. And David turns to Hashem and he says, Chatasi ma'od asher asisi. I feel I've sinned greatly before Hashem. Vata Hashem haverna savon avdecha ki niskalti ma'od. He damns Hashem and says, I've been very silly. I can't believe I made this mistake. I'm asking for forgiveness. And David goes to bed. And David had his, the prophet of the time. The, the one there was two major, major prophets at that time. One of them was a prophet called God, God Hanavi, and the pasuk says in pasuk Yudalev, Udvar Hashem Hoya El God Hanavi, the word of Hashem was to God the Navi, Chose David, Chose, Chose means the one who sees, like a seer, and the Navi was called a Chose, one who sees, and he was called the seer of David because his nevuah were specifically for David. He was the liaison, so to speak, from Hashem. How Hashem gave nevuah to David through this Navi. So Hashem comes to God Hanavi and he says, go talk to David and tell David that he has to suffer a punishment for this sin. Um, at this point, he's going to have to suffer punishment. But Hashem says, I have three options. He can choose which punishment he wants. And what are the three options that Hashem gives him? And the Pasuk says in Yud Gimel, God comes to David and he says, Hashem says, either it could be seven years of famine for the Jewish people in Israel. Um, or three months 
that you will be beaten by your enemies. You'll be running from your enemies. Or three days of a plague, of people dying. Those are the three options. None of them are, uh, you know, a difficult, a difficult decision for a king to make. This is a king of a nation. This is David HaMelech. And Hashem says that the nation is going to have to suffer here some level of punishment. And it's either going to be, it's either going to be a famine or it's going to be a war where you're going to lose the war for, for, for a period of time. Or it's going to be a plague. And David HaMelech says a quote that becomes an important famous quote. And actually we say it in the Slichos on a fast day or on Yom Kippur, or between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Shadash Meshuvah, I'm sorry, the Slichos before Rosh Hashanah, we say this, this Pasuk, in the Pasuk Yudalid, where it says, Vayomer David El God. David says, Sarli Mo, this is so terribly difficult for me. But if I have to choose between the three, Nipla no biyad Hashem. I want to choose the one where we fall by the hand of Hashem, not by the hands of other people. Kirabim Rachamov, because Hashem is ultimately merciful. I don't want to fall to the hands of men. So which of the three was he choosing? Well, obviously not war, because war is the hands of men, but also not hunger. Because when there's hunger, that means you have to go and get food from other people, and you have to go to other nations. Again, you're at the mercy of people. A plague is death, but death is between a man and Hashem. And David HaMalach said that if I have to be punished, I want my punishment to be directly from Hashem. I don't want others involved in this. Because if it's with Hashem, there's rachamim, there's mercy. Hashem is ultimately a loving father, even when he's punishing. And that's where I want any, any necessary punishment to be directly between us and Hashem. And that's what he chose. And again, this is a line that we say in our slichos. The whole, the whole passage. By Yomer David al-God, David, David says to God, Nipla no biyad Hashem. If we have to fall, it should only be directly in the hand of Hashem, not, the, not, not by the hands of others. And that's what David told God. Can I ask a question? You may, of course. Can I ask a question? Sure. Why, why do the people have to suffer if, uh, and have to be punished if it's Jabba Mela who did the counting? So it's an excellent question, an excellent question. And there's, there's uh, probably two, I'm sure there's many answers, but two answers that come to mind. One is David, as a king, represents the people. Um, David is not a private person. And um, his, they, they represent each other. They're a king of, one, he's a king, they're the people. They're one nation and they're, they, they ultimately um, carry responsibility for each other. But on a, but on a greater level, as we're going to see soon, this whole thing that David had to, you know, David made this mistake that seems to be a simple mistake, was all part of a gzera, was all part of a decree that had to befall the Jewish people. Um, so to speak, the excuse was David's um, sin of counting. But it was something that was coming to the Jewish people, again, as we will discuss shortly. So, yeah, David Malach is the one who did the actual act, but it was something that was coming to the people for um, a more general purpose as well. Um... So this is what happens. Uh, immediately when David um, uh, uh, says that, so the plague goes into, um, goes into being, and the, uh, the plague actually lasted only one day. But in that, even though Hashem said initially three days, but the plague lasts one day, but in that day, according to the Pasuk, 70,000 people died. So we're talking about a, we're talking about a, a, a dreadful, terrible plague where 70,000 people um, died on that day. And then the Pasuk goes on in Pasuk Tezayin. And it says the Malach, when it says here the Malach is talking about the angel of death, the one who was executing this plague, um, started going towards Yerushalayim. And here we're coming close to the end of the, of the Navi. The, the, Navi the, the ending of this Navi finishes at a very beautiful place. One moment, please. 
So the um, so it says the malach now the, the malach of destruction the malach of the plague is heading to Yerushalayim. And at this point, vayinochim Hashem el hara, Hashem um, Hashem's mercy overtakes Hashem, and He says, you know what? That's enough. Even though the plague was 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 promised for three days, enough people died. The plague is is done. And vayomer lemalach hamashchis ba'am. Hashem told the Malach, he told the angel that was given the permission or the job, the mission to destroy. He says, enough. Rav, ata, heref yodecha. Now stop. Um, you should um, put your hand down and stop, uh, stop destroying people. It's interesting. The Pasuk says, Rav. It's, it's, it's too much. So the Mepharshim say Rav because because uh, the great because uh, a, a very great person died at that point in the plague and that was Avishai, the brother of Yoav. One of the brothers of Yoav died in that plague. And at that point, Hashem says, it's over. And where was the Malach? Now, this is an interesting thing. Where was the Malach when Hashem says, stop, stop where you are. That's the end of the plague. No more killing. He was by the granary of Aravna HaYivusi. Aravna, who was from the, who was one of, from the nation of Yivus. Now, that granary is going to be the base place of the Beis HaMikdash. And it's at this point where suddenly we're back to um, what David Amalek's ultimate mission is, because as we're going to see in a moment, David is going to acquire this place of Aravna Hayivusi. Aravna is the name of the person. Aravna was a king, or at least a great leader, of the people of Yivus. Yivus is one of the nations in, in the land of Canaan at the time, land of Israel, sorry, at the time. So it was when the Malach was passing the place of the base Hamikdash, that same place where Yaakov Avinu Davin, when he passed there, and that place that's going to be the base Hamikdash forever, that's when Hashem tells the Malach, I want you to stop the plague. Now, David is beside him. Can I just ask, so how, how did Avishai die? He died in the plague. So he died at that exact moment, but from what? From the plague. Oh, from the plague. Yeah, yeah. No, when, when Avishai died during the plague, that's when Hashem told the Malach, that's it, enough. And as, at, at that point, the Malach was right there over the place where the Beis HaMikdash was going to stand. And David, at Pasig Yitzayin, David throughout the time, is he's very brokenhearted and he's telling, he, David is talking to the angel of death and he's saying, why are you killing anybody else? I sinned. It's only me. The, all the sheep, what did they do? Your, the, the rats should be taken out of myself and my own home. But at this point, the plague had stopped. God comes to David on that day and he says, he says, the plague stopped in the granary of Aravna, Hayivusi. Go erect a Mizbeach. Go erect an altar exactly in that place where the plague, where the plague stopped. Again, David Amalek himself might not have realized that that Mizbeach is being built on exactly the same place where Avram Avinu built the Mizbeach, exactly the same place where Yaakov Avinu Davin, the place of the Beis Hamikdash. But God the Navi tells David Amalach that place is a place for building Mizbeach to thank Hashem for the ending of the plague. So David comes, Vayal David, Kidvar God. David follows the what, what God told him, Kashesiva Hashem as Hashem, and he comes, David with whoever, with his uh, with his soldiers or his disciples, comes and approaches the home of this Aravna. Aravna looks out the window. And again, Aravna is a leader in the land of, of Israel, of, of, Go, of Goyim, of the Yivus. Although there are opinions that he was a Geir. It's not clear. Some say he was a Geir, some say he wasn't a Geir. Aravna sees David HaMelech coming. And Aravna says, he says, Vayashke, if Aravna looks out the window, he sees the Melech and his servants coming. 
Aravna comes out and he bows to David HaMelech. And he says, why is my master, why is the king coming to, to, to his servant? You know, if you need something from me, I'll come to you. And David says, I've come to you because I want to buy your house. I want to buy your property. Your go, the Goran, this granary, Livnos Mizbeach La Hashem. In five minutes. Livnos Mizbeach. You, you can wait for me. I'm sorry. She says that um, I'm going, I, I want to buy your property in order to build a Mizbeach for Hashem. Because Hashem um, stopped the Magefa, stopped the plague, and I want that to totally avert the wrath of Hashem. So Ravna tells David, he says, why do you have to buy it from me? Take it. He says, take my granary, bring as many, take my animals, as many, bring as many kabanas as you want. I'm willing to give you everything. You're the king. And David Amalek says, thank you. Very nice. Uh, Hashem should bless you. But no. He says, I want to buy it, and I want to buy it with a full value. Because I'm not going to bring sacrifices in a place that I got for free, that others own as well. And if we think back in Chumash, this is really a reenactment of the first acquisition in Eretz Yisrael of Avram Avinu with the Maras Pela. It's Mamash the same story. In Parshas Chai Yisara, Avram comes to buy the first time that a Yid is going to buy a part of Eretz Yisrael. And there was Ephron who said, take the place, take the place, bury your wife. Avram says no. In fact, what are the words Avram uses? Bekesef mole. I want to pay for it full price. I don't want anyone to say, you gave it to me. I don't want to say, yeah, you come and take it back. I want it to be mine. And the same thing David Amalek says when it comes to buy the property that's going to be the property of the Beis HaMikdash. Right? The Beis HaMikdash that when we started learning about David, we talked about the fact that David, that was his life's dream to build the Beis HaMikdash. And Hashem told him that ultimately he'll be your son. But David was, was doing everything and this is where he's actually acquiring the land for the Beis HaMikdash. And as the Pasuk says, that David did what he said. He bought it and he says he bought it for 50 shekels, 50 silver coins, which is a, it seems to be a big sum. It's interesting, in Divrei Hayamim it says that he bought it for 600 silver coins. So how do we reconcile, was it 50 or was it 600? And the Mepharshim say he took 50 coins from each one of the 12 Shvatim. He wanted the acquisition of the place of the Beis HaMikdash to be an acquisition of the entire Klal Yisrael. So here it says it was 50 coins, Divrei Hayamim says it was 600 coins because it was 50 times 12. So we have 600 coins of silver, and that's how David acquires the Beis HaMikdash, and is, uh, the, the place of the Beis HaMikdash, that is. And as the Pasuk finishes, the last Pasuk in, in Shmuel Beis, Vayiven Shem David Mizbeach LaHashem, David bought the place, built an altar for, for Hashem, Vayal Olos Shlomim, he brought to Hashem sacrifices, Olos and Shlomim sacrifices, and Hashem totally... The Magefa totally stopped. Hashem totally um, was, was appeased. And Hashem's wrath and anger was averted from the Jewish people through those karbanos that were brought for the, for, for the first time since the Jewish people had come into Israel. Again, this is a place that karbanos had been brought by Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. But for the last 400 years since the Jews are in Israel, they had never yet acquired this place. And this Navi finishes with the story of the acquisition of the place of the, of the Beis HaMikdash by David HaMelech in this very, um, very difficult circumstance when it was just after this terrible plague, but the cessation, the end of that plague, was when the Malach comes to the place of the Beis HaMikdash, now acquired by David, and, and Karbanos being brought on that place, causing um, Hashem's appeasement and forgiveness, forgiveness of Chal Yisrael. And that's how the Sefer finishes. Rabbi Silverberg, yes. David, no, I wasn't clear on that. 
did Dubbin know that when he was buying it, it was going to be the place where the base of English would be built? I'm sorry, can you say your question again? I'm sorry. Sure. Did Dubbin know when he bought it that it would be the place where the base of English would be built? So that, clear on that. Good question. I don't know the answer to that question. It's not indicated in the Pasuk if he did or didn't. Um, I would say he definitely found out, but exactly at what point, I don't know. Uh, maybe he knew from the beginning. I don't know. The, the Pasuk definitely doesn't say, and the basic Mepharshim don't say either. I'm sure there's more and more Mepharshim, and maybe someone does say, but I don't know. If I find out a clearer answer, I'll, I'll share it next week in Mirza Hashem. I want to finish with one last idea. That is, there is a Radak. Radak is one of the Mepharshim, one of the commentators on Tanakh, Rabbi David Kimchi. And in his last piece over here, he says something very, very powerful that the Rebbe spoke about many, many times. And that is, he says, what was behind this whole plague? Why were the Jewish people deserving of it? And especially, as, as one of you asked earlier, uh, David HaMelech made a mistake in counting. You know, so why, why are 70,000 people dying? There was, there was clearly something, Hashem was upset about something. What was it? And Radak says that there was a terrible critique against the Jewish people. And that is that they weren't asking and waiting and demanding for the building of the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, they all knew that ultimately there has to be a Beis HaMikdash, and somehow nobody was really, wasn't on top of anyone's mind. They, they were making do, you know, they had David HaMelech, they had a Mishkan and Shiloh, they were okay. And that was, a, that was a tremendous critique. You're in the land of Eretz Yisrael. You have the ability to build a Beis HaMikdash. Why weren't they clamoring? Why weren't they asking, when can we already build the Beis HaMikdash? And there are, David HaMelech was told that he can't do it. He was told, but they never asked again. They never asked again, you know, maybe, maybe one of his sons could do it already now. You know, maybe there's, you know, there didn't seem to be so, an urgency by the Jewish people of how can we bring about the bringing of the Beis HaMikdash. And the Radak finishes with powerful words. And this is how he finishes his Pirush on the Sefer. He says, he says, he says, imagine that these people who never had a Beis HaMikdash, Nevertheless, it was considered a tremendous critique that they weren't clamoring and asking and begging for Hashem for the Beis HaMikdash. He says, Allah has come for us, how much more so us, that we had a first Beis HaMikdash and we had a second Beis HaMikdash, how much more so is it something that it behooves us to constantly be asking and be davening and be clamoring of when will we have already the Beis HaMikdash Ashlishi? And he says, and that's why the, the Chazal put into our davenings every day. We say, and asking Hashem to return the kingdom to Tzion, to Zion. And he says, and he finishes, that we should be zeicha, we should ask for it, and Hashem should bring, give us the base of Mikdash Ashlishi. That's how he finishes his pirush on Shmuel. And it was one time, it was in, in 1986, I think it was, and uh, the whole story, I, I've shared it in the past here, I'm not going to go into details, but the Rebbe um, said that everyone should send out a chain letter at that point, I was a child, it was before my bar mitzvah, and the Rebbe said that everyone should write a letter and send it to 10 people, and what should they talk about? About the importance of asking for Mashiach, asking for Geula, and what source should they quote? This Radak at the end of Shmuel Beis. This Reb David Kimchi who says that the whole plague and all those 70,000 people all fell because they weren't asking for the third Beis HaMikdash, and how much more so we, that has to be something that's on the top of our minds to ask for and to beg for, and of course that was something very central to the Rebbe's teachings, of uh, never to be, uh, never to in any way make peace, so to speak, with Golos, but to ask and, and, and cry for Mashiach. And Hashem should give it to us. Bekar of Mamash, Mirz Hashem. So, Mazel Tov, I'm finishing another Sefer together. And I hope um, next week we'll start with the next Sefer. Mirz Hashem, Melachim Aleph. Bezras Hashem. Okay.